Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Yeah, so studying Revelation is a practice of careful observation with uh, studying the text of the Scripture. Uh, it, you know, systematically studying the Bible, not just the book of Revelation, reveals to us a lot of the symbols and their meanings of the things we see in the book of Revelation. Like we saw in chapter 1, John is told by Jesus to write down the things that he sees, not the things that he's told. And that's unique. To the, this is the only book of the Bible where they are told to write what they have seen. And so uh, usually in the Bible, when you're interpreting Scripture, it means you have to really understand what the passage is saying. you got to understand the context of everything. In Revelation, John gives us descriptions of things that he has seen, not things that he has told. So we are having to interpret John's interpretation of what he saw. You know, if he, if he was told to write certain things, then he is telling us, like later on when we get to the, 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 uh, the end times and we get to, you know, the, the tribulation period, the things John sees, you know, they don't make a lot of sense. You know, he's got flying insects that are shooting stuff and dragons. And so it is John telling us what his interpretation of what he sees is, and so we have to interpret his interpretation. If he was just told by God, write this, then we could just say, well, that flying insect is a flying insect. That dragon's a dragon. Uh, but because it's a different type of interpretation, we have to do a little bit deeper study. Um, so it means we have to interpret the meaning of what he sees. And it's, it's a more complex process than studying just the book of Matthew or the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. Uh, so this, this style of scripture, this prophetic uh, scripture, puts a premium on our observation, on our knowledge of the Bible. Observation helps us make sense of what John is seeing and John is describing. And so knowledge of the Bible allows us to interpret what these visions mean for us today. Last week we looked at uh, chapter 1, and we saw what John saw when he saw, when he looked at Jesus. And there was a lot of symbolism uh, in that vision, and we, we looked throughout the Bible to find the meaning of what John had seen. And even though we saw from Scripture uh, the meaning of John, John's vision, we're still not 100% sure of what everything means. Debbie mentioned the fact that uh, some people believe the stars in Jesus' hands that he says are the angels of the church are not actual angels, but they're pastors. So I did a lot of research this week, a lot of reading, of, of scripture and a lot of reading of commentaries uh, to find an answer. And the answer is, I really don't have one. Uh, the word used for angels is the Greek word angelos, and it literally can be translated as messenger. It is used 76 times in the book of Revelation alone. 68 times it specifically refers to angels. The only time people have questioned are those eight times where we're not sure what it's talking about. And the eight times it's mentioned are in, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 20, where Jesus talks about the, the stars in his hands are the angels of the church. And then every letter that he writes to a church, he starts it by to the angel of the church at 
Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. And so those are the only eight times that it's mentioned in Revelation where it does not mean angel specifically. Yes, ma'am. No, 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 go ahead. No, the only the only time I mean the only way you could say that is because it doesn't refer specific like the other times it's mentioned to it about an angel, the angels are pouring out the vials, the angels are opening the seals, the angels are doing these things. They would be spiritual beings. They would be yeah, and so there's no evidence in those passages that they are or they aren't. It just it's the word angel, but they're not doing anything angelic, right at that moment. They could still be. Just just um, messenger, messenger, pastor to those churches. Just it could be. Um, now, the rest of the Bible, rest of the New Testament, the word angelos is used 186 times in the rest of the New Testament. And 179 of those times, it specifically refers to angels. Seven times, it's translated messenger. Now, uh, it speaks of John the Baptist as a messenger preparing the way for Jesus. It speaks of John the Baptist's disciples as messengers to Jesus to see if he's the true Messiah. Talks about Jesus' disciples as messengers to the crowd with him. Uh, Talks about the messengers of Israel sent to Rahab in Jericho. Talks about uh, the messengers of the church. um, Or it talks about the messenger of Satan sent to Buffett Paul. But in none of those instances does it refer specifically to a pastor. So 50% of people think it's an angel. 50% of people think it's a pastor. I can see both sides because the messenger to the church at Ephesus would be the leader of the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So to me, it's one of those things we can, you can go either way. It doesn't really change anything. Me personally, I'm not going to dive down and say that's what it means because we don't have any clear-cut scripture that says it is a pastor or it's not a pastor. So it's kind of one of those things God's like, you don't really need to know that much. You know, you'll figure it out one day. It doesn't change whether it's an angel or a pastor, you know, but it takes a lot of study. And even with a lot of study and a lot of reading and listening to a lot of messages, I still can say, you know what, it's okay to say I'm not 100%. I don't know. Huh? The Greek language is contextual. Yes. So, and the Hebrew is... um, Okay. When you study Greek, I guess. I know I've never studied Greek. Yeah. But I've always heard that it's contextual, so you go by the context of the Greek. And if that angel was not used in reference to, like, Gabriel, Mm -hmm. then... Well, also, when uh, um, it's the same word that's used in the uh, nativity story in Luke, when the angels come to the shepherds, it's the same. And it's not just the same word, it's the same verbiage. It's the same parsing of it. So it's really, it's like there are times in the New Testament where that same word is used in that same way as a messenger, but it's referring to an angel. 
be changing the truth. To say it's a pet, no. If you said no. Okay, this angel is a pastor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I can't say definitively either way. And so to me, it's it's one of those things where it's it's not going to change the gospel. It's not going to change the truth. If you say it's a pastor, I say it's an angel. I'm just saying I, I, I can't find specifically anywhere in Scripture that it says it's definitely a pastor, so I'm not going to say either way. Could it more generally be in reference to the spiritual head of that specific church? Well, no, because that, that would be Jesus. No, like the person who's overseeing it. Like, you like the pastor or something? Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of administrator. Yeah. Uh, because he's got him in his hands, and it's so weird. Some people, because he's holding them, lean more that they are angelic beings. And some people, because he's holding them, lean, well, no, he's holding them, so it's more past. You can't get anybody to agree, which is one of these passages where it's fine if no one agrees. We're not changing the gospel. You know, when you start saying, well, Jesus didn't bodily rise from the dead. No, now, now we're changing stuff, and now we can prove to it. But this is one of those things where it's like, it's like, it's like and I'll, Revelation and Genesis are two of my favorite books because in Genesis, you know, you read Cain and Abel. You know, April's doing Cain and Abel with the kids today, and she asked me what kind of craft to do. I told her to give half of them a rock and tell them to beat the other half to death. You know, that's a great craft for Cain and Abel. But, you know, <laughs> Cain kills Abel, and he's scared of people, and you're like, well, who's he scared of? And so you can study Scripture, and there are people that talk about, you know, oh, well, this... Pause in this pat this comma in Genesis one means there's a, a pre-Adamic race and there's a race before Adam, and it's like okay you can't prove that anywhere else. It's it's cool to think about and it's nice to talk. It doesn't change scripture, you know. It doesn't change the fact that whoever was on Earth when Cain killed Abel, whether it was just them four or millions of people, Jesus still to die for every single one of them. And so it's just one of those things you can't nail down an answer, and that's fine. And so, but you do got to be careful when someone does try to say, no, the Bible specifically says, and you can't really nail it down. You say, no, you know, you, you can be, this is what I believe the Bible says. But it's one of those things, it's like, is it pastors? Maybe. I mean, the more I, the more I think about the letters to the churches, it makes sense he's writing to pastors because he's writing to the heads of these churches. Yeah, and so... But I can't look at a I can't look at another passage of scripture and say, oh well, this word when it's used in the same context here it refers to a pastor, so it's pastor. I can't look at it and so it's like, hey, I think it's pastors. You've kind of got me thinking it's more pastors than angels, but I can't dogmatically say it is. It's one or the other. It's they're fine, <laughs> and that's what's cool about studying. Yeah, and he's writing a letter to a person. Yeah, and he's writing a. And he's writing. He's writing to a church, and he starts the letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. So it's like, yeah, why would, an, why would he have to write a letter to, to an angel? Exactly. He's, a He's a spiritual being. Why would he have to? Could he just say, hey, dude, come here. Yeah. Till this <laughs> and since the letter, and we'll see this later, the letters were delivered to these churches. They were literally physically delivered. They got where they wanted to go. So, you know, if you're in a church at Ephesus and you get a letter, oh, to the angel, oh, it's not to me, it's to the angel, you know. <laughs> come and get it. Yeah, come get it, somebody. <laughs> I 
even an angel. Yeah. So at least he put it in there, yeah. you know, just in case somebody would say. Well, I mean, honestly. An angel told me, you know, and not a person. Yeah. If, if, if Satan showed up, we have this image of Satan, yeah. this redhead, you know, he's red with horns and a pitchfork and a tail. No. The Bible says he's a beautiful creature. If he showed up here, we would think he was a messenger of God. And, you know, a lot of... That's why those Mormons are good looking. Yeah. So how we'd fall for them. So we'd... Uh, all right, Debbie there. Moving to Utah, I see. <laughs> but no. So, but that's what, you know, the Bible... The Revelation takes a lot of careful study. And it's okay to get to a place where you say, I don't really know. Like, we're going to get to a lot of symbols during the tribulation where we're going to say, I don't know. It could be this. It could be that. It could be nothing. I don't know. Yes. But if he was actually referencing the actual an actual angel, couldn't that have just been communicated directly between? Yes. And the angel, yeah. If he was speaking through the writings to the church, then you know that would be something where he, he, he wants to go. Yeah. And one person who believes they're angels and was dogmatic about it <laughs> fought that argument. And said, well, when Daniel prayed, it took the angel 21 days to get to him. So maybe God thought it was quicker to mail a letter, which made no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you could just speak it. So I was like, really? Yeah. He was talking to Israel. I mean, he was an Israelite. So, I mean, Michael, and he, the one that is assigned mm -hmm. to Israel. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like an angel for a nation. Yes. I can get that. But, you know, when we're talking about the church, to me, it, to me, I'm leaning towards that it's a messenger. Of the like, church. Yeah, like yeah. Timothy. I mean, because, you know, we're not part of Israel. We're not Jewish. Right. And, and like Mary, she had Gabriel come and talk to her, but Gabriel didn't come and talk to the church. And there was no name. Given. Yeah. So that, for me, my opinion is that, you know, they were messengers like Timothy, mm -hmm. John yeah. and Paul. And, and, and I've, I've kind of leaned that away now, but again, you know, someone says, no, I think they're angels. Well, that's fine. You know, it's, do so you think it's a spiritual being yeah. that guards the church? That's fine. That's fine, God, that Paul said. Yeah. Even, even if another angel was coming and said. Yeah. Anyway, so the point of that is, you know, knowing really knowing how to interpret the Bible and understand the Bible is really more important than any points I can give you on any lesson is to know how for yourself to study Scripture, study, put Scripture on top of Scripture and make sure it lines up. That's where mm -hmm. every false religion falls short. Their Scripture on Scripture doesn't line up. Um, like Jehovah's Witnesses, my brother, thankfully my brother, uh, you know, my, the one right above me, uh, he was, uh, we all grew up, Jehovah's Witness, uh, but after he got out, after he came back from Michigan from a three to five year vacation uh, <laughs> up in Michigan, he um, got baptized into the Kingdom Hall and got really involved. And so me, I've really been, and, you know, I've really been trying to talk to him and we never really could talk, but he recently got divorced. And so he's like, he, he left the Kingdom Hall. And now he's searching so we can have talks. And I've been able to tell him now because before he was defensive, but now I can take him through scripture that, he, you know, well, the Bible, their Bible says this here, but it says something totally contradictory there. 
and they can never explain it. Where when people come to me with the, a supposed contradiction in the Bible, say it's, it's not a contradiction. You're just, you're looking at it wrong. You're understanding it wrong. You're reading it wrong. You got to really look. You can't take one verse on another verse. You got to look at context. You got to look deeper. And so that's what I'm trying to teach you, really how to study scripture to find truth for yourself. Because I, I want to be preaching you the truth, but also want you to know the truth yourself so that if I start teaching heresy, you know it, you can call me out. You know, I told y'all before, sometimes I want to preach a totally blasphemous sermon, see who catches it. Uh, you know, see, see who catches what I'm saying there. You know, if after service, great message, Pastor. It's like, okay, I have failed. Uh, I need to do something better here. So, you know, the whole point of this is really to teach you how to find what the Bible means. So the meaning of symbols in Revelation uh, or elsewhere in, in the Bible, they're always given somewhere. You're always going to find the meaning somewhere. And if you can't find a definitive meaning it's because God doesn't really want us to know. You know, like people always talk about the, the age before the fall or Adam and Eve after the fall. You know, it's like, well, there's all this time. We, or Jesus is, you know, before he turned 12. It's like, well, we got to figure that out. No, we don't need to know that. That's not important for us. And, you know, I've talked to April about this. It's like, you know, God didn't put all that in there because it's just going to, it'd probably confuse us and bog us down and we'll get hung up on irrelevant stuff. And so he put in what we need to know. And if it's not in there, we don't need to know it. And we can ask him one day when we see him. Um, so we finished last week uh, looking at the outline or the structure of Revelation. And so this outline, uh, this uh, gives us an understanding uh, as we go through Revelation, what we're looking at. So we looked at, uh, ended by looking at verse 19 of Revelation 1. Did you unconnect on me? All right. There we go. Messing with me now. All right. So Revelation one nineteen. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So John is told this outline. It helps guide our understanding of the events that happen in Revelation. And so John was told to write by Jesus to write the book in three parts. Um, what he saw, the things he saw, the things that are, and the things that will be. It's a very simple outline to follow. Once you understand the outline, it helps you understand a lot of things. So John wrote the book in this order. So the book of Revelation follows this outline procedure. So we have to figure out which chapters line up with this outline. And Jesus began by telling him, write the things which you have seen. That's past tense. So obviously, he's telling him this in verse 19 of chapter 1. So what are the things that are contained in Revelation, the things that John had seen? Well, the, Reve the Revelation 1 is the things he saw. You know, that's the past tense. That's everything he saw in the past up to that point. And so what did he see in chapter 1? Yeah. And he saw Jesus in his heavenly form. He saw Jesus in his glorified body. And this is in Revelation 1 because, again, we, we have this image of Jesus in our head. You know, he's this long-haired white guy. He's not either one of those things. Uh, you know, and he's, he's kind of like a hippie and in heaven he's going to get there and we're all going to hug him and just hang out and sing Kumbaya by the Crystal River and fish all night. And... 
you know, John's like, you're going to be shocked when you get there. Uh, because John was the closest disciple that Jesus had on earth. He was probably Jesus' best friend. He knew Jesus better than anyone. He was closer to Jesus than anybody else, even Jesus' own family. So when John sees Jesus, he sees him in his heavenly form, and it immediately he falls down and worships. He's in awe of him, and that's what we're going to be like. You know, in the new earth, I don't know. Maybe in the new earth we'll all get to play hacky sack with Jesus. I don't know. Uh, we're not told about that. But in heaven, we're not. Because again, Jesus is in heaven now, and the next time he will come to earth, he will come in this form as a conquering king. First time he didn't come as a king. He came as a humble servant to save us. Second time he's coming as a conquering king. And so we see what Jesus looks like in heaven right now. Yes, ma'am. No, you're fine. Stop apologizing. Okay. Yes. He saw exactly what Daniel saw. He saw Jesus. That's what we looked at. You know, every time in Scripture before here, when someone saw Jesus in heaven, not when they saw, you know, because you, you think, well, Melchizedek was Jesus, and, you know, did, did Jacob wrestle with Jesus? And they saw, he did come to earth at different times, but when he came, when people saw him in heaven, this is his heavenly form. And so what, Jesus, what John saw lines up perfectly with what Daniel saw, what Ezekiel saw, what Isaiah saw. And so we can know this is what, and so we can also trust that this is what is true. And so, yeah, he saw the, he saw the heavenly, uh, you know, Jesus in his heavenly form. He saw well in his heavenly form. He is he is he is priest and king. Yeah, he's priest. Huh? Did he see him as the priest of John? Melchizedek. No, that's Abraham. Abraham saw that. Okay, Abraham saw the priest of Melchizedek. Yeah. But doesn't that also? No, John. Melchizedek. No, Melchizedek is a is and again, there's a lot of debate on him because he's the prince of Salem. Salem did not exist when Melchizedek was around. And Jerusalem means New Salem. Uh, and so he was a priest and a king. He had no beginning. He had no end. So Melchizedek was, it was a human embodiment of Jesus. So when, when Abraham saw him, he saw him in an in a earthly form, the human embodiment of Christ. But he was dressed in a priest. Like he wasn't a priest. When John saw him? No, when Abraham saw him. Yes, because he was a, he's a priest and a king. Well, John saw him as priest and king because he is priest and king. So he didn't see him as No, John? No. John saw him as he is in heaven all the time. Yes. When Abraham saw him, he saw him in an earthly embodiment of the priest and king. But when John saw him and when Daniel saw him, he was wearing his priestly robes and his kingly you know, sash. Right, he wasn't wearing his earthly human form. Yeah, but he still looked like a man. Didn't Melchizedek look like a man? Melchizedek did, but Melchizedek was Jesus in a human form. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. I, mean, I understand that, but I guess because to me, I've been, you know, when he's up there holding his stars, and, um, like the lampstand, mm -hmm. he was in the Holy of Holies. 
is, right? Because that's where the lampstand is. No, Holy of Holies is where the Ark is. Well, uh, no, because he, it, the, the temple has the lampstand. Jesus was surrounded by seven of them. They're, they're symbols. No. Holy of Holies now is the throne room of God. No, the temple, at that time the temple was back in Jerusalem still, but now it's gone. Okay, there's not a temple in heaven? The, the throne, no. The, I think the whole thing's a temple. Because <laughs> again, the Holy of Holies was where Jesus' presence dwelt. <laughs> so when Abraham saw Melchizedek, he saw a human form of Jesus. When John saw... Jesus in heaven, he saw the glorified form of what Jesus really is. So whenever Jesus came to earth, he dimmed his glory because we couldn't handle it. I understand that. Yeah. But Jesus was wearing a robe. Yes. Yes, because he is our priest and he is our king. And so that's, that's what he wears as priest and king. Because he's our high priest and all that stuff. All right. Sorry. No, you're fine. So... John saw Jesus in his glorified form. He saw the candlesticks. He saw the stars. Uh, and not, those details not only tell us what Jesus looks like now, but it also tells us that John has the authority to write the book of Revelation. Now, remember, the book of Revelation begins with a chain of custody. Jesus gave it to the angels who gave it to John who gave it to us. So the chain of custody plus what John sees and his role as an apostle give us the confidence to know we can believe what we're reading in the book of Revelation. We can believe and have confidence that it's true. Now, we have to accept the validity of the Bible uh, if we're going to accept anything. So if, you have, if, there's any, if we have any doubts about the validity of the Bible, then we will not accept the truth of what John says as truth. So we have to believe every word of the Bible is true. Every jot, every tittle, every punctuation... And that's why, you know, I spend a lot of time when I'm preparing for any message looking at the original languages because language changes over time. And again, you know, like I use the King James because that's what I grew up in church with. You know, I didn't grow, grow up in church until I was, you know, 18, but I went to Bible. That's what I'm familiar with. That's what I know. That's what I understand. But even the King James language, I'm reading an ancient language translated from a dead language uh, to try to figure out what it means in 2023. And so different translations are very helpful. And I will read a lot of different translations to see, okay, what does this mean? What, okay, but then I'll go back to the, okay, what are they really talking about? But we have to believe every part of the Bible. Uh, now we move to the things that are. Uh, now, like the first part of the outline, we, you know, the outline is three, three parts, the things that were, the things John saw, the things that are, and the things that will be. So we have to figure out what chapters contain the things that are. Now, because of the way John writes and because of this outline, we know the things that are start in Revelation chapter 2. But where does that end? So we have to figure out where part 3 begins so we can figure out where part 2 ends. And the good news is there's an obvious clue in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after this I looked. So that's a very purposeful writing. He saw the things that, that he saw, chapter 1. 
Chapter 2, 3, the things that are, and then after the things that are, after these things. Yes, ma'am. Is that, is that because this is I didn't hear you. Is, is this, you're referring to those two chapters, 2 and 3, is because the Lord God spoke that? Because, yeah, those are the things that are because those are the letters of the church. But then, then after that, chapter 4 begins after this. After the things that are, I see the things that will be. Uh, so we have our outline of the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, and if y'all were here last session, last, you saw, saw this. Chapter 1, the things that are. Chapters 2 and 3, or chapter 1, the things John saw. Chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. Chapter 4 through 22 are the things that will be. Um, now, that's really kind of the hardest part because the things that are, the, when you look at the, the Greek writing, the things that are is in the present tense. To John at that time, that can confuse us because the things that are that John wrote a couple thousand years ago. So how can the things that are back, you know, in 80 AD, how can the things that are then still be the things that are now and not the things that will be, the things that are going to be? Um, so they have to be the things that are because, you know, they, they can't be the things that were because we're not in the present time anymore. All right. I'm confusing myself. All right. So when you look at the outline and you say, okay, the chapters two and three are the things that are for John, then for us, they should be the things that were. But that's not accurate uh, because he wrote those chapters for the church then, but he also wrote them for us today. Now, last day, we're going to spend some time on this because some of you weren't here last time, but the last study, we spent about 98% of our time on the things that are. The church age, the you know what's going to bring the church age to an end and all that stuff, and so we, we spent a lot of time on that. We're not going to spend so much time on that then, but we are going to look at the things that are and how we can know the things that John wrote 2,000 plus years ago, still apply to us today. And these things are contained in the letters to these seven churches. These are Jesus's counsel to the churches at the time, but they remain true for us today. So we start with understanding how to interpret these letters, how we have to interpret the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. Uh, how the letters are structured will help us understand what they mean, and we're going to use three different methods of interpretation. Uh, all these methods are valid, and they all provide us unique insight to what Jesus wants us to understand. The first thing we're going to look at is the literal interpretation. What the letter says is what the letter means, and that's what all it means. That's what God's talking about. That's what he wants to do. Uh, we take them to, be ex to mean exactly what they say because, again, these are real letters written to real churches filled with real people who had real problems that had to be dealt with. Uh, they ended up going exactly where Jesus wanted them to go, and they were read by exactly who Jesus wanted them to be read by. Uh, the things that Jesus says in these letters were true for the community of believers that received them. Ephesus was standing against false teachers. Smyrna was suffering with persecution, and so on and so on. Uh, and so they have historical and specific meaning to them. Uh, 
And so we're going to look at the historical and the specific meaning. But that's not the only way to read these letters. The second way is we're going to use the universal interpretation. The truth in these letters continues today. Because again, how many churches did Jesus write to? Seven. Seven. What does seven mean? Complete. So he's writing to not just these seven churches, he's writing to the church. And until the church is no more, these letters are true. And the things in them are valuable to us. So they were not written to just these specific churches, but the church at a whole. So at any moment in time, you can find a group of believers dealing with the same issues that the churches in these seven letters were dealing with. So these, these universal meaning, we have a general and a timeless interpretation. So it, it, it applies the letters to the, the truth in the church to the letter of Ephesus applies to every church in the world at every time until the church is no more. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the church is still around. Uh, so if you weren't sure of that, let me the church age is still going. So these letters and this truth is still the time that are. Uh, now, a lot of people stop after these two. Uh, they preach on the letters. They give the historical context, they move to how it applies to us today, and then they stop. And that's fine, but they miss the most important thing. We look at it prophetically. Uh, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. Everything in it is prophecy. Even what John saw in chapter 1, it's prophecy because we see what Jesus looks like and what he's going to look like when we see him one day. So the things in these letters are not just truth for the church today, but it's prophecy about things that will happen in the church throughout the church age. So chapters 2 and 3 speak about future events, and they are symbolic, uh, future symbolic events. Everybody clear? Clear as mud. All right, the things that are, the things that were, are not the things that were. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I, I, and I, I, God does that on purpose that so we can know everything lines up. There's no... So it shouldn't be a, an issue yeah. somehow, you know, yeah. Daniel saw the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. and like, he got it, he spoke of it a little, but again, he's writing things he's told to write as opposed to John writing things he saw, and so they do line up, but it's just, it's different perspectives, from the same, that's why Revelation reads a little different than the rest of the Bible. Because again, the rest of the Bible, everyone's told what to write by God. Now they had, each person had their own kind of unique style, but it was really, they got the truth by God. John's just like, this is weird, and writing it down. Yeah, but he was like spoken to like Moses. Yes, yeah. Chapters two and three are direct dictation from Jesus. And there's a Hebrew word that only Moses can use, and only John can use. Yeah, and then four and 22 are just John's writing down what he saw real quick. All right, here, here are the churches that John wrote to. The seven churches and the order that he wrote to them in. First, he wrote to Ephesus. Second, he wrote to Smyrna. Third, uh, Pergamum, Tyathira, fourth. Sardis, fifth. Philadelphia, sixth. And Laodicea, seventh. Um, now, notice anything about that order? It goes clockwise. 
He goes in a clock. See, he knew that because he was here last time. <laughs> it goes in a clockwise pattern. That pattern tells us that the letters are not only to specific churches for specific moments in time and specific truth for us today, but it, it shows a passage of time, a turning of time. Uh, clocks, now, clocks were not invented until the 14th century. I know that, but you know what they did have in that time? Sundials. Sundials. You know how sundials go? In a clockwise pattern. <laughs> that's why clocks go in a clockwise pattern, because that's the way the, the sun moves. And so me, the meaning of those, meaning for those in John's day, moving in a clockwise pattern was well known. They would understand that this is showing a passage of time, events that are going to happen during different times uh, and different periods. So this suggests that, these t that the times uh, are descriptions of a period of the time in the church. That's why, and we'll get to this next week in a few weeks, the, the, you know, there's the, the letter to the church at Ephesus is the church age of Ephesus. And we'll see where these things apply, and we'll see what age we're in today. Anyone remember what age we're in today? Laodicea. Yeah, but we're in the church, the Laodicean age. Uh, the last one. Uh, not the Philadelphia age. And we'll see, we'll, we'll show historically, scripturally, how we can prove that. But it's, it's a different age of the church. And different things happen during different ages of the church. These le letters represent the nature or the characteristics of God's church as it evolves and changes with time and with the culture. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.